0: Welcome to the Preaching and Teaching Ministry of Mary and Oaks Assembly of God in Ocala, Florida. We invite you to open your Bible as we join Pastor Tim McIntyre for today's message for Bible study. Today is Pentecost Sunday. What does that mean? Pentecost, in the Bible, going way back, was a Jewish festival. And it was one of the times that all of God's people would gather together to celebrate God's goodness. But as we talk about the day of Pentecost in the church, it has a little bit different connotation because God had a bigger plan for that Jewish festival as he did for most all of them. It's a really interesting study if you ever want to do it. I think there's seven. It's been a while since I've looked at it. Seven specific Jewish Celebrations and festivals that God instituted in the Old Testament. But when you look at the coming of Jesus, there is a special fulfillment that Jesus had for each and every one of those festivals. The one we're most familiar with is Passover. When the lamb was sacrificed, it commemorated when the children of Israel were delivered from Egypt. But the ultimate fulfillment was when Jesus Christ, the lamb of God, was sacrificed upon the cross to pay the price for our sins so that we could be delivered from slavery to sin. Well, the day of Pentecost was again another one of those Jewish festivals. It took place about 50 days after Passover. And so when Jesus fulfilled Passover on the cross, He Died. He was buried. He rose again on the third day. It said that over the next 40 days or so, he would from time to time appear with his disciples and he would teach them and encourage them and challenge them. And in that time, he says, listen, you have a job to do. You need to take this message of the good news to the world. He says, but before you do that, wait for the Holy Spirit to come. He said, I'm going to pour out the Holy Spirit. I'm going to send the promise of the Father, which was the Holy Spirit. Wait for that, because when you receive the Holy Spirit, you will receive power to be witnesses. And he ascended into heaven. And so they went back to Jerusalem and they waited and they prayed. And there's a number of things along the line that they did, but they didn't know when the Holy Spirit was going to come. They didn't realize that God was waiting for the day of Pentecost to fulfill another one of these great Jewish festivals. And on the day of Pentecost, God sent the Holy Spirit. Jesus poured out the Holy Spirit upon his church who were gathered together in the upper room. Nathaniel read the passage from Acts chapter 2 during worship. And the Holy Spirit came down upon God's people, filled them with his presence and with his power. And it says there were signs and wonders that preceded that. There were signs and wonders that were a part of that. One of them, they began to speak in languages they had never learned. And people that had been gathered there for this Jewish festival from all over the Roman Empire, speaking different languages, could hear... People from Jerusalem speaking languages they didn't know, but they were speaking the praises of God in the languages of the people that had gathered from all over the world. And it became an opportunity for Peter to get up and preach. And it says that that day there were over 3,000 people that accepted Jesus Christ as their Messiah and Savior and were baptized and made part of the church. But it was on that day that the Holy Spirit came upon the early believers. And so on today, the day of Pentecost, we commemorate that. We focus on that. And I think that rather than just do it this one day, I think I'm going to preach about the Holy Spirit again next week. And then the following week is Father's Day. And depending on how things go, I may preach on it another Sunday or two beyond that. We'll see how things go. But today we're going to be talking about the Holy Spirit. And let me just make you this little plug real quick before we go on. Remember tonight, we are going to have a Pentecost rally with churches from all over a three-county area. Going to be down in Fruitland Park. The information was given to you earlier. It's in your bulletin. Encourage you to go if you want to meet here at 445. We'll take the van and other vehicles as we need to to go there. So I want to challenge you and encourage you to plan to be a part of that tonight. But before we jump fully into the message today, I want to make something very, very clear that's important that we understand that the Holy Spirit is not a power. The Holy Spirit is not a force. The Holy Spirit is God himself who comes to dwell within his people, who moves among his people to accomplish great things. And we're going to see some of the things he's done in the past, some of the things he wants to do now as we look at this today. The title of my message today is Holy Spirit Under the Influence. Now, that subtitle you've heard before, Under the Influence. I won't ask how many of you have ever been under the influence. What do we think of? You laugh, right? Because what do we think of when we think of under the influence? We think of being under the influence of some substance maybe drugs or alcohol and because of its influence on us we may not do what we normally do say what we normally say or, or whatever right this influence has changed us I make that sound like a testimony I've never been under the that kind of influence just to state for the record although if I had God forgives right I mean not that we I, I could even leave that alone anyway if you've ever been under the influence God can take care of that put that that way all right But I'll be honest with you, that phrase applies to anything that has a powerful influence on us that changes us. I mean, if you think about it that way, being under the influence, we can be under the influence of a lot of things. We can be under the influence of a substance like we just talked about. We can be under the influence of a person. There can be a person that comes into our life, good or bad. All these things under the influence can be good or bad. But we can be under the influence of a person or a group of people or an organization made up of people that because of our association with them, it changes who we are, what we do, how we talk. Again, that doesn't have to be a bad thing. To be honest with you, as we are part of the body of Christ and the family of believers, our association together and the influence of that association should work on changing us too in a positive way. We can also be under the influence of an emotion. You know what that's like. You get really angry at somebody. You're going to say or do things that maybe normally you would not do. If you're under an emotion of grief or depression or, I mean, any kind of emotion that you can think of, good or bad, joy, love, whatever. If it's powerfully present in your life, you're under the influence and it will affect what you say and do. Influence, a powerful presence that influences us in a significant way. So what do I mean when I say, Holy Spirit under the influence. I get that from our passage today. We're going to be reading from Ephesians chapter 5, and we're going to start in verse 15, but the key is in verse 18. Okay? So as we look at Ephesians 5, starting in verse 15, going through 21, but keying in on verse 18, Paul is writing to the Ephesians, and he's just giving us some general principles about how to live life as a follower of Jesus. He says, look carefully then how you walk. He says, you know, be, be be concerned. You know, be aware of how you're living. That's what he means by walk. He's not just saying, watch the path you're taking so you don't trip over something, although that spiritual application to that is pretty good. Be careful. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And here's the key. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery but be filled with the Spirit. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So he's got a number of principles in there. We can make a whole sermon just out of that passage. But like I said, for today, I want to focus in on verse 18. An important part of our living our lives as followers of Jesus Christ is to be filled with the Spirit. And the word that is used there for filled is an ongoing, a continuing. It's being continually filled and refilled every day, making sure that we are in uh, under the influence. That really is the idea here. That's where I got the title from, under the influence. He says, listen, don't get drunk with wine. Don't be under the influence of alcohol. That's debauchery. What's debauchery? Well, I wanted to be accurate, so I looked up the definition of debauchery. Debauchery just basically means an extreme indulgent in bodily pleasures. In other words, just giving yourself over to whatever you feel like, whatever you desire, whatever you want, whatever floats your boat, whatever makes you feel good. The desires of our flesh. He says, if we give ourselves over to other substances, they can be very, very bad. They can lead us the wrong direction. He says, don't be under that kind of influence. Instead, be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be continuously filled. Be continuously under His influence, under His guidance, under His leading. That's the idea here. Now, some of you have been around church for a long while, and even some people that haven't been around church, they've heard about this Holy Spirit thing and experiences with the Holy Spirit and being under the influence of the Holy Spirit. What do we think of sometimes when we think of being under the influence of the Holy Spirit? Sometimes we think of experiences that we might have. Things like speaking in tongues, which is valid. We saw it in the passage Nathaniel read during worship in Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit came upon the church, they spoke in other tongues. And it wasn't just on that day. It was a repeated thing. When the Holy Spirit came upon people, they spoke in other tongues. So we think of that. Perhaps we think of other things that we've either experienced or seen or heard about. We don't hear about this near as much today, but I remember um, growing up And people would talk about them Pentecostal people, you know, jumping the pews and swinging from the chandeliers. That's why we don't have any chandeliers, don't have any pews. No. But other things like, I don't like this phrase, but being slain in the spirit, I don't like it because it, to me, it's like somebody gets killed. God just zaps somebody, they're dead, you know not making fun, uh, but the talking about, some people say, going out under the power of the spirit, God's presence and power coming upon somebody so much that they're just basically, we could compare it to fainting, just being out, just in the presence of God. Maybe things like singing in the spirit or dancing in the spirit, um, you know, being overcome or, or having a, a tremendous experience that leads to a great emotional response of a joyful uh, expression of praise or maybe a weeping. There's a lot of different experiences that people might associate with being under the influence of the Spirit. And they can be very, very real. I am In all that I've talked about here, I've not mocked, I've not negated. All those things can be very, very real. They can also be fake. A lot of it has to do with what's going on inside the person, okay? But God does do things in such a way that our bodies and our... we, We just have a hard time handling it in the natural. And so it manifests itself in different ways. But can I tell you that even though those are things that people may think of when they think of being under the influence of the spirit, that is not the primary thing that Paul's talking about here. That is not the main thing. As wonderful as our experiences with God and His Spirit can be and should be, and we should enjoy any time we have an experience with the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. A true experience. Not something we should try to manufacture. Not something we should try to work ourselves up to. Not something we should try to fake. But whenever we have an experience with God's Holy Spirit, that's wonderful. But that's not the main purpose of God sending His Holy Spirit. And that's not the main thing he's talking about when he says we need to be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. In fact, I would tell you, if you have those kind of experiences, but you're not under the influence of the Holy Spirit in the way that Scripture talks about it and we're going to talk about today, it's pretty much worthless. You just had a good time. My wife and I both, and maybe you do too, through the years that we've known the Lord, have known of situations where there are people in church... That they come to church and they know how to jump and shout. They know how to pray and praise. They may have some wonderful experience at the end of the service or even during the worship. But they live like the devil the rest of the week. Can I tell you? They're not under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm not saying God wasn't working on them, dealing with them in the service. He may very well have, but He did not carry it out through the rest of the week. And if you don't carry out what God is doing in your heart and life under the influence of the Holy Spirit throughout the entirety of your life, every day, these wonderful experiences are just that. They're just an experience. So what what do we mean by being under the influence? What does the Bible say about being under the influence? What should it accomplish? What should it do? Well, let me give you a little bit of background. Before Jesus came, there's a whole lot of stuff about the Holy Spirit with him being God himself, you know, in his working in the world, he was involved in creation and, and giving life and all that kind of stuff. But we find that before Jesus The Holy Spirit supernaturally enabled certain certain individuals to do the works of God and to speak the words of God. I came up with that phrase a couple of years ago, and I think it kind of encapsulates what did the Holy Spirit do with people in the Old Testament? He would come upon certain individuals to supernaturally enable them to either do a work for God or to speak the words of God. There's all kinds of examples in the Old Testament. Even something as simple as physical strength. The greatest story we have in the Old Testament of somebody being given physical strength is Samson, right? He was one of the judges of Israel, one of the leaders of Israel. God gave him great physical strength to cause problems for the Philistines, the enemy of God's people. But can I tell you, he's one of the greatest example of somebody who was under the influence when he wanted to be and when he felt like it and God used him, but he used him in spite of himself. Because Samson's life did not change. Samson lived a horrible, ungodly, immoral life. Now, that may shock some. You say, "Well, I thought he was a hero in the Old Testament." In the sense in which God used him, that is great. But he is not an example that we should follow. God used him in spite of himself. But it was the Holy Spirit that brought him that physical strength. We have several other places where it says that the Holy Spirit came with power upon people, but we're not sure how it manifested. Was it physical strength? Was it emotional strength? Did it just give him the energy they needed to do what needed to be done? We don't know. A lot of judges and, and, and uh, leaders. We find that the Holy Spirit came upon people to give them creative ability. When God told Moses... To have the people build the tabernacle and the ark of the covenant and the altar and, and all these things that had to do with his place of worship, his place of residence among his people. It said specifically that God said, God said, I will put my spirit upon a man by the name of Bezalel and another one, Aholiah, and they will be, they're already good craftsmen, but I'm going to give them an ability that goes beyond their ability to make these beautiful things that have to do with the tabernacle, the place of God's presence. It talks about God giving his spirit to bring extra wisdom. It says that about Daniel and others. It talks about how God's put his spirit upon people to encourage them, to help them be effective leaders. Moses, it said, had God's spirit upon him so that he would effectively be able to lead God's people. And it's mentioned later that God's spirit came upon kings and others who were in leadership. In fact, a really interesting story in Numbers 11 is Moses is leading God's people. They're so rebellious. There's such a problem. Moses says, I'm done with this, God. Just kill me. So I'm tired of leading your people. And God says, I'm going to help you out. You get 70 of the elders together. I'm going to take from the spirit, the Holy Spirit I placed on you. I'm going to put some on them. They're going to help you out. And he did that exactly. It's interesting. As the 70 elders gathered together, two of them didn't make it to the meeting on time. Their wife probably had them run an errand or something. I don't know. But anyway, so when God put his spirit upon them, these two are still out in the camp among the people, and they're overcome by the spirit of God, empowered by the spirit of God. And Joshua says, Moses, this isn't right. They should be here. He says, you know what? I don't care whether they're here or there. I'm just glad the Holy Spirit is on them. And he says something. He says, I wish that God's spirit would be on all people. That was a wish that Moses had expressed. Because you see, in the Old Testament... God's Holy Spirit didn't move upon, move in, and move through all of His people. It was only on certain individuals for certain periods of time to accomplish certain things. But we find that as we go further along in the Old Testament that God promised that one day the Spirit would dwell within all believers. God's people had rebelled for so long, They'd gotten involved in so many sins. They'd started worshiping other idols and they did that all throughout their history. God would call them back to himself. He would discipline as a good parent will do for their their child. They would come back to him in revival, but after a while they'd start sinning again, start serving other gods. Then they'd come back to him back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And God said, one day, I'm gonna put my spirit within all believers and that will help you better love me and better serve me and do it from the heart, not just from external rules and laws. In fact, we find that in Ezekiel 36, verses 25 to 27, the clearest place where God expresses this plan. He says, I will sprinkle clean water on you. And it was, I'm going to cleanse you from your sins. And you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols, I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart. And a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove your heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. God also spoke through another prophet. And I forgot to mention that earlier. That's another way that God's spirit moved in the Old Testament was to come upon the prophets. To prophesy means to speak for God. So his spirit would come upon them so they could speak his words. But another prophet said something similar. Prophet Joel, in Joel chapter 2, verses 28-29, to God spoke through Joel and said, And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Even on male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my Spirit. He basically says the Holy Spirit will be available for all of His people. Well, when the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. And people said, "All these people are just drunk. Peter Stubbs says, no, they're not drunk. This is the fulfillment of what Joel said. God has sent his spirit. God's spirit now has dwelling within all of his people. All of his people. We see that when Jesus came on the scene, you have John the Baptist preparing the way for Jesus. And he says, there's one, I'm, I'm just preparing the way for the one who's to come. And he's the one that's going to baptize in the Holy Spirit and fire. And when Jesus came by, went by, he's, he's the guy. He's the guy. When Jesus was involved in his ministry with his disciples, he told them a number of times, but especially toward the end, right before he was betrayed, he says, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. He talked a lot about what the Holy Spirit would do in their lives and all that kind of stuff. But he made it very, very clear. Listen, you need to wait for the Holy Spirit. To come into your lives and to begin to do the work that God's called you to do. And as I said, that happened in Acts chapter 2. And not just Acts chapter 2, but Acts chapter 8 and Acts chapter 10. And I think it was Acts chapter 16, Acts chapter 9 on the Apostle Paul. The Holy Spirit came upon God's people. So what does this mean for us today? We talk about the Holy Spirit being under the influence. What does that mean for us Today We go back to that verse 18 of Ephesians 5. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And I think God would call us today to say, what are we under the influence of? Are we truly under the influence of the Holy Spirit? And not just as a general category, but day by day by day. Because as I said, that's the idea here, is to be continuously filled. It's to be filled in an ongoing way. To be continuously every day, depending upon God's presence and His power in our lives. That happens as we're surrendered to Him. Phrases that are used in Scripture as to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. To be filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, some outwork is that to be led by the Spirit. To be empowered by the Spirit. And when that happens, it will change us. If it doesn't, we've just had an experience. Thank God for experiences, but may our experiences with God and his presence and his Holy Spirit change us. So, how does it change us? What what, what should it mean that we are under the influence of the Holy Spirit? We see that the Holy Spirit works in us and through us. How does he work in us? The first thing here, the influence of the Spirit makes us more Christlike. The influence of the Spirit makes us more Christ-like. Now let me pause just a moment and say that this is applied to people who have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Those who are believers, those who are Christians, those who are, who are disciples, those who are followers of Jesus. And if you're here today or you're online, you know, God wants to, work in your heart and life by the Holy Spirit. And He may be doing so to a degree to try to draw you to Himself. But the first and foremost thing you need to do is to respond to that drawing, which may include a conviction of sin, to say, I need a Savior. The Bible says we're all sinners separated from God. And the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He died on the cross to pay the price for our sins. And as we put our trust in Him, repenting of our sins, Asking for His forgiveness and choosing to follow Him that we're saved from our sins. And He becomes our Savior. So that's the first step. But once we have done that, the Bible makes it very clear that the Holy Spirit dwells within us. Every person who has ever accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior, that's one spiritual way to put it, surrendered their life to Christ, repented of their sins, accepted the gift of salvation based on Jesus dying on the cross, has the Holy Spirit dwelling within them. Now, the Bible goes on to say that there's a fullness, there's an overwhelming presence of God, a baptism of His Spirit. We'll talk more about that a little bit later. But as His Holy Spirit is within us, He begins a change. Now, He doesn't force us against our will. We have to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit, if we're under the influence, we will change. We will become more Christ-like. It's not going to happen overnight. In fact, none of us will get totally there until we receive our glorified bodies and we're in heaven. But it's a process we should be involved in. Paul talks about this in Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 to 25. He says this, But I say, walk by the Spirit. Okay, We mentioned earlier that other uh, thing where uh, Paul wrote in Ephesians about be careful how you walk, how you live your life, the lifestyle you have. He says, as you're living your life, live it In the Spirit. Live it under the influence of the Holy Spirit. As I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. If you're under the influence of the Holy Spirit, that'll help you to resist being under the other evil, fleshly, wrong influences around us and unfortunately inside of us, our sinful nature. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. We have a sinful nature that we are born with. Leads us into sin. We're separated from... We become a Christian. The Holy Spirit comes to dwell within us, but we still have that sinful nature. And there's this battle. You've experienced that battle in you. You know, cartoons portrayed as an angel on one shoulder and a devil on the other. They're trying to convince you to go one of two ways, right? That's actually kind of accurate of our flesh and our spirit. The sinfulness of our flesh, wanting to push us and draw us into things that are ungodly, that may feel good for a while, may enjoy for a while, but they're destructive. They're bad for us. Sin. And God's Spirit saying, no, you don't have to go that way. Let me lead you into what is good, what is right. Let me empower you to do what is right. These are opposed to you to keep you from doing the things you want to do. That's what your flesh wants to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Then he gives this long list, and it's not exhaustive, of things that are out there that we can be under the influence of, we can be drawn to do or be involved in that are sin, that are going to be destructive, that separate us from God. The works of the flesh are evident Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. And there's other lists in Scripture too. The things of the flesh. The things that are sinful. The things that, yes, they may be fun and desirable for a while, but they are destructive and they separate us from God. He says, this is the fleshly side, and we need to not be under the influence of that. And so he says, that's why I've given the Holy Spirit. Be under the influence of the Spirit. Going on, the second half. By the way, this shows both actions and attitudes can be involved in that. So when he finishes up the list... And things like this. He says, I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And as people whose lives are characterized by that, it's obvious they don't really know God. They don't have a Savior. They're still headed for destruction. They're not going to be in the kingdom of God, not unless they change, not unless they accept Jesus as their Savior. He goes on. He says, but... The fruit of the Spirit. If the Spirit is in you and you're under the influence of the Spirit, this is the kind of stuff that will happen in your life. This is the kind of stuff that will start growing like fruit in your life. He says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. See, we've got a part to play. We've got to crucify. We've got to resist. We've got to put to death those things that come from our flesh that try to pull us and push us the wrong direction and yield to the Spirit. He compares it to crucifying it. Crucifying the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit. Let us also keep in step with the Spirit. I think what he's saying here is if we claim to be believers, the Spirit lives within us, let's really live it out. Let's be under the influence. So, the influence of the Spirit makes us more Christ-like in two ways. First of all, in our lifestyle. In our lifestyle, the passage we just read. All these evil actions, all these sinful actions, these things that, that, that will end up destroying us and God calls us away from, the things that separate us from God... The Spirit begins to move upon us and to help us. If we're under the influence of the Holy Spirit, we will leave those things behind. We will take a stand against those things. We will crucify those things. As Paul said, our flesh and its desires. I know in my own life, as I've had the privilege of knowing the Lord for almost 52 years now, the battles that I've fought with my flesh, temptations as a teenager, Temptations is a 60-year-old and everything in between. Which I'll be 62 this Friday. So, you know, right in there. All the temptations and the battles. The presence and power of the Holy Spirit to help me to have victory. And I can tell you that the more that I'm aware of God's presence, the more that I'm seeking His presence every day. That's another reason why it's so important to spend that time with God every day in prayer and in His Word and asking God to come and fill and, and, and empower and to help just to bring victory over temptation. To help us leave our sinfulness behind. We all need that, don't we? Anybody in here never faced temptation? If you think you never face temptation, maybe you don't know what temptation is or what sin is. I don't know. I think we all do. We need the Holy Spirit to empower. To make us more like Christ. To change our lifestyle so we can leave the sin behind and begin to live out that life that God has for us. To have freedom from bondage. To live in victory over sin. Makes us more Christ-like in our lifestyle, but also in our character. Not just what we do, but who we are. Where it talks about the fruit of the Spirit, it doesn't talk a lot about the negatives. It does a little bit. You know, people that are full of rage and malice and all that kind of stuff and other lists that Paul makes in various places he writes. Instead, Paul focuses really on the positive. He says, you know, as as the Holy Spirit works in your life, you're under his influence, you're cooperating with him, you will have more peace. You will be more loving. You will be more patient, kind, all these other kind of things. And again, I can tell you that as I look back over my life, I think that it's because of the presence and power of the Holy Spirit in my life that I've been able to become the man I am, and I am not perfect and I have still have to ask Him for help, Lord. Help me to be patient in this situation. Lord, help me to be loving because somebody is pushing my buttons. You know, help me to be kind because this situation I don't like. And can I tell you, God does. Many of you can give the same testimony. Times when you want to lash out, times when you want to retaliate, times when you want to speak words. And maybe sometimes we do, and we repent, and God will help us with that. But time, the times say, God, please help me in His Spirit gives us what we need. We begin to change. Don't we need that? Don't we need that to help us just to be a better person? Don't we need that just to help us in our relationships with other people? We need the Holy Spirit. We need His presence and power. We need to be under His influence to make us more Christ-like. But the second thing is the influence of the Holy Spirit makes us more effective. Makes us more effective. What do I mean by makes us more effective? Effective in a lot of different areas, but two I want to focus on real quick. The first one is this, in our witness. We know that Jesus has made a difference in our lives. And we're supposed to tell other people about that and and help them understand that. And I mean, we can't save them and they got to make their own choices. But just like Jesus told his disciples, then he tells us now that we need to go and make disciples. We need to share the gospel with the people around us. And I don't know about you, but sometimes that can be scary. You don't know how they're going to respond. We don't want to be rejected. We are afraid. We don't feel like we know the right answers, all that kind of stuff. But the Bible makes it very clear. And Jesus said himself that the presence of the Holy Spirit, and when we're under his influence, his Holy Spirit will help us with that. Jesus, before he ascended in Acts 1.8, said, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. That's the city where they live. In Judea, Judea, the area around them. In Samaria, where your enemies live. And to the uttermost parts of the earth. I shared with you recently that even I struggle. At times, you, you wouldn't think a pastor would, but I struggle sometimes of having the boldness and stepping out and recognizing the opportunity and stepping through the door, getting out of my comfort zone to tell people about Jesus. But can I tell you that the Holy Spirit is always there to help and he has helped me many times. He helps us to to have that boldness to step over the line when we really don't want to, you know, to to open up the conversation, to, to make that statement. There certainly is a place for study and learning God's word and the truths of the gospel, but there are times that the Holy Spirit will bring to our remembrance things we've studied and things that he said. He will guide us in conversations. I've experienced that myself. Many of you have experienced the same thing. We need... We need the Holy Spirit to help us be a good witness. We need to be under the influence to make a difference in our world. But it's been promised to us. We can experience it. And the second part of being more effective is in our service. God calls us to be involved in His kingdom. Sharing the gospel, yes, but doing other things. I've got a number of scriptures here. I'm not going to read them to you. I encourage you to read them later. All of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 to 13, Ephesians 4, 11 to 16, and 1 Peter 4, 7 to 11, all talk about how God with his Holy Spirit gives gifts to his people. Now, I'm not talking about Christmas. You read those passages, it's talking about God gives abilities to his people to be used in his service to make a difference in their lives, to make a difference in other people's lives. I said the Holy Spirit does things in us and he does things through us. The in us is making us more Christ-like in our character and our lifestyle and the through us is making us more effective in our witness and in our service. And if you go through and look at all the different lists of the quote spiritual gifts, there's about 24, 25, 26 that are listed. It's not exhausted, exhaustive. Some are supernatural, some are very very normal, like the gift of giving, the gift of service, the gift of encouragement, supernatural, like the gift of healing, the gift of faith, the gift of uh, speaking in tongues and interpreting tongues. You know, there's lots of different kinds of gifts. And the Bible makes it clear that those who do us who are believers, the Holy Spirit dwells within us. God has given us a gift or gifts to be used in his kingdom. And it's his Holy Spirit's power. And as we're under the influence of the Holy Spirit, that those gifts are most effective, We may feel like we don't have much to offer. We don't have much to give. God can't use me very much, but God can use you way more than you think and even way more than you're able in yourself because of the Holy Spirit. I told you I weren't going to read these passages, but I'm going to read a couple verses out of 1 Corinthians 4, verses 4 to 7. Paul says, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation or the gift of the spirit for the common good. You know, I've known the Lord long enough and been in ministry long enough. I, I, I happen to know that the primary gift that I know that I have is teaching. I love the process. I love the study, the preparation. I love to teach. I love to preach. And I know God's involved in that because I don't have that all in myself. I can't tell you how many times because it happens all the time that when I sit down to study, whether it's to teach or to preach, that I sense God's spirit guiding and leading me and helping me in that process. Constructing the Bible study or the sermon and then standing before you here on a Sunday morning or on a Wednesday night. The sense of his presence. Leading me through the process and empowering me. A a, a phrase you hear sometimes: anointing me. You know, the Holy Spirit is talking about being an anointing. I've experienced that for myself. And you have too, I'm sure. Times that you were doing something for the kingdom of God in an area you felt gifted or an area you felt an ability. And sometimes it's like, you know, you feel like I'm doing this on my own strength. God, I need your help. I need your strength. And you just sense the Holy Spirit coming in and helping you. Not moving you like a robot and forcing you to say certain things, but as you are under the influence cooperating with His Spirit, His anointing rests on you. Can I tell you, I pray that all the time for all of you and the ministries that you're involved in. Specifically, I mean, for everything, but I think especially for Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights, and I, and I pray, God, would you come and move on Sunday morning in our service and in our kids zone and in all the things we go, would you come and move on Wednesday night in our adult Bible study and our k kids praise on Wednesday and our lighthouse youth, and God, may your anointing rest on everybody who's involved in ministry. May they use the gifts you've given them, but may it go even beyond the gifts you've given and the abilities they have for an anointing of your Holy Spirit. I pray that for the worship team. I I, You know, that it's not just because we're good at what we do, but because God's Spirit is at work within our life. We're under the influence of the Holy Spirit, and it's His presence and power that's working with what we have within us, what He's given us to have the greatest impact. And I pray for God's anointing on the people that listen to the people that are receiving. I pray that over all of you and all of you online all week long, Lord, anoint me to bring your message, but anoint the people who will get that message that they'll get that message. I tell you, God wants to use you in the church, out of the church. You've got gifts. You may know what they are. You may not know what they are. But God wants to use you and he will use you beyond what you can do in yourself as you lean upon him, as you trust in him, as you are under the influence of the spirit. i going to ask the worship team to come back, please. As we begin to wrap this up, I just tell you, there's a lot of other things that the Holy Spirit does. This is just a little glimpse. Guides us, teaches us, leads us, convicts us, comforts us, encourages us. But as we wrap this up, I want to get you to think about what does it really mean to be a truly Pentecostal church? We're an Assembly of God church. We don't make a big deal of that, but that we are. The Assembly of God is a Pentecostal denomination. What does that mean? It just basically means that we believe that what happened on the day of Pentecost still happens today. That the Holy Spirit still comes in power to fill his people. And it can result in the supernatural, but it definitely results in God's working in and through us. But sometimes people will go to a church and it's a real exciting service. There's wonderful experiences and we've had an exciting service today, wonderful time of worship, everything like that. We've had that today. So that's really a Pentecostal church. If because at some point in the service during worship at the end things are happening that are unusual, wow, that's a really pentec Can I say that's not what makes a Pentecostal church a Pentecostal church. It's part of the package maybe. If that's God moving, yes, it's part of the package. But a truly Pentecostal church is a church full of changed people who are changing the world. Because that's why God sent the Holy Spirit. If all we do is seek experiences and we don't allow ourselves or seek to be under his influence all week long. That's all it is, is an experience. Real, fake, whatever it might be. It's just an experience. We need to be under the influence so we can be changed and empowered to be more Christ-like and effective at doing the work that God has called us to do. One more scripture I want to leave you with. Luke chapter 11, verses 9 to 13. Jesus is teaching on prayer. He does the same teaching in Matthew, or Matthew reports it, but this is a different time because Matthew ends it different than Luke does. But listen to how Luke presents this teaching of Jesus. He says, You might say, but why would God's children have to ask for the Holy Spirit? Because the Bible makes it clear that the Holy Spirit dwells within God's children. Because there's more to it than just the fact that His Holy Spirit dwells within you when you become a believer. There's the fact that God wants to fill you to overflowing. And it's an ongoing process and we need it every day. I'm going to take some more time next week to talk about this whole thing of the baptism in the Holy Spirit and where the speaking in tongues fits into that. But I don't have the time to get into that today, so I encourage you to come back next week hear about that. But I just want to tell you as we wrap this up today that if you're God's child, His Spirit dwells within you. But He wants to fill you with His Holy Spirit. He wants to fill you afresh and anew. It may manifest itself in some kind of supernatural way. It may just be that He's going to be with you and he's going to guide you he's going to lead you he's going to empower you but this is what we should seek for every week and so here's what I want to do let's all stand together our worship team is going to be leading us in a song and you might would think it'd be all focused on the Holy Spirit but it's not it's focused on Jesus the Bible says that the Holy Spirit has come to lift up Jesus and to point us to Jesus and I don't want us to be in a hurry you get in a hurry you leave when you feel like you need to leave But I don't want to rush anything that God wants to do. So I want us to go into singing this song. And I want us to worship God together. And I'm going to come back in just a couple of minutes at a break in the song and give you further instruction. But let's just worship him right now and glorify Jesus with this song. Our worship team is going to continue to sing this as they do. I want to invite you. If you're here at home, you can do this however you choose to. If God spoke into your heart today and you'd say, I want to respond today. I want a fresh touch from God. I want a fresh filling of His Holy Spirit. I want to start today when I want to live out every day. And that is being led by the Spirit. Empowered by the Spirit. Because I'm under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Then I want to invite you to come. And to pray and say, God, here I am. I worship you. I worship Jesus. Thank you for what you did. Lord, I need you. I need your power. I need your presence. I need your Holy Spirit. Fill me afresh and anew today. If by some chance you don't know Jesus, come find me. I'll pray with you about that. But let's just take this time right now to just ask God to pour out a spirit in a special way. Come if God's moving upon your heart. Come if you want to touch. Come if you want a fresh filling today. Hallelujah! There are still people praying and we want to leave that attitude of worship. So we're not going to dismiss formally when you want and need to go. Go in the love of the Lord, greeting, loving one another. But I'm going to ask the worship team to continue to sing for a while longer while people are still praying and are still interceding. And you can do that as long as you want. And we'll still be down here to pray with you if you'd like us to. God bless you. Let's be filled with the Holy Spirit and under his influence every day. God bless you. We hope you've enjoyed listening to today's message or Bible study. For more information, please contact us at area code 352-347-3001 or visit us online. If you are interested in supporting this ministry, go to our website and click on the online giving tab. Our website address is www.marionoaksag.org.